What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. I'm Griff. I'm Stop. I'm Will. And we're back, full strength, beginning of the week episode. Who's back of the week? Us on this episode. Obviously, it's Super Bowl week. But with that being said, we're going to talk some basketball on this episode. Early in the week, we got big news with the Kyrie trade. Obviously, we're going to be breaking down what both teams look like and the route for each team from here on out the rest of the season. Then we're going to shift over to some college ball. We had rivalry weekend, a big Saturday slate of basketball in college. Obviously, the NBA, a lot of news. What do we say, guys? Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside the Pod. Let's get things started. Um, Kind of breaking news, not really. Kyrie Irving got traded to the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday afternoon. In exchange for well, it was Kyrie Marquise Morris, in exchange for Spencer Dimwitty and Dorian Benny Smith, along with picks down the line. Um, Griff, give me your initial thoughts on this because I mean, we all have thoughts, but I'm curious what you have to say. Kyrie had to go, it, it, it's very simple. Kyrie had to go, it was just a matter of which team was going to give the Nets the best offer. And, and it shows that everybody in the league knew that Kyrie was going to be gone by Thursday because nobody really gave the Nets anything that they loved. And in turn, they made this move. Now they get some picks, but those picks are for 2029. And I don't know if you guys know, but it's currently 2023. So Kyrie got traded for a seventh grader. That's basically what what I'm seeing right now. Um, But no, for real, Dinwiddie's a good basketball player. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Dorian Finney-Smith, but he he's good as well. Both of them are battling injuries this year. Kyrie's obviously on and off. Um, but, I mean, it's a big change, and, and it's a big shakeup, and it's going to be very tough to play basketball if you're the Dallas Mavericks with only one basketball. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? There's just – Luka and Kyrie, their usage rate just adds up to – if you combine it, adds up probably over like 3 million percent. And it's I, I'm not saying it's not going to work, but I don't know. It's it's not a great move. My whole philosophy with it is who's going to take the back seat? Because right now, Luka Doncic has gone through his entire NBA career being the guy who has the ball, right? At mm-hmm. all times, for him to succeed in the NBA, he has to have the ball. Kyrie is kind of the same way in essence where he doesn't really move without the ball too much to his credit, but he still gets – he needs – on the court, Kyrie Irving is probably the best bucket getter in the NBA, right? He's a pure, he's the purest when it comes to basketball. He doesn't try and draw contact to get fouls. He gets to a spot, he hits his shots, he gets to the lane, he finishes at the rim. He and Luca, in that sense, kind of are similar where they both create their own shots. I don't know how it's going to necessarily fit. And who? Who's going to take the backseat? I don't know. I mean, it, people will say Kyrie just because this is his, what, fourth failed experiment? I mean, Cleveland, or third failed experiment with Brooklyn. He's on to his fourth team right now. When Cleveland, he had success, and then he wanted his own thing. Came to Boston, absolute dumpster fire towards the end. Went to Brooklyn with a dumpster fire all throughout. They had their like, bright spots in 2021 when they were in that playoff run, and then Things fell apart after that. James Harden didn't want to be there. Kyrie forced him out of town. Kyrie and KD forced Steve Nash out of town. And then Kyrie and KD say they want to coach the team. And then Kyrie wants out. 
now halfway through the year and he's an all-star starter it's not like he's not getting usage he's just not been reliable for the nets and i think i say this all the time repetition without realization is insanity when is Kyrie going to realize that he's the problem and it's not the environment around him i mean like what what i'm thinking from this trade really starts from the move from the Mavs in itself obviously like Luca and the Mavs all know that Luca needs help. He can't do it by himself. They tried last year, didn't work. They tried years before, playoff runs, whatever. It's not necessarily working. They're trying to get pieces. Obviously, they have Christian Wood. He hasn't been all of that this year, which I feel like now with Kyrie Irving, they can kind of gel together because Kyrie's obviously one shorter than Luca, so it's more of a point guard build per se. With Luca being a taller guard, he can kind of take that off to his own side. Obviously, they're both ball. Like I guess we could say ball dominant. They want the ball the whole time. They both do. So that raises the question: Will it work? Obviously, Kyrie's failed experiments and stuff like that. I want to be on the side that it doesn't work, but I feel like this experiment might end up working just from the way that the way that Luca plays. One, who do you? Obviously, they have their bottom three with small forward, power forward, center. Who do you even guard? When you have obviously you're like, oh, who do you guard when you have KD and Kyrie and Harden? But I feel like these two players just excel at getting to the bucket, making their shots, and they're very consistent. It's if Luca's not doing it one night, they have Kyrie. And I feel like if they can rely heavily on which they have been able to, but if Christian Wood can kind of step it up knowing that they have more help, they have more areas where they can work on, they can kind of focus on that down low presence and figure that out. Now, with this move, I think it, there needs to be another one in order for it to really be successful. So I think this is a start to something. And from the Dallas Mavericks perspective, they had to do this. There was nothing else left for them to do because there's there's a big chance they lose Luca eventually down the line if they don't get him help or at least try to find someone to help them. You're right. And, and Mark Cuban hasn't gone out of his way to acquire a superstar player of this caliber. I, I'd want to say forever. You know, like he had Derek, he had Steve Nash. Those were two guys that they drafted, though. And mm-hmm. uh, Luka Doncic obviously was a draft day trade. I, I consider him one of their draft picks as well. Um, and you're right, Will. It's something that they had to do. It was kind of a perfect scenario to pair Luka up with another all-star, which he hasn't been with ever. Mm-hmm. And, and it was the best scenario just because of the fact of Kyrie's uh, – contract being up this summer you get kind of a trial period and we talk about it in baseball all the time those guys get moved pretty much every year when you when you just have half a year left on your contract kind of a trial we'll see if we want to sign you after that so it's a good move in terms of that but when you look at this Dallas Mavericks roster you see first off a lot of injuries and Luca and Kyrie are both currently out um but with that being said you don't know who's going to run the three now because you know that the one and the two are going to be Luca and Kyrie, interchangeable pretty much at the one and the two. Um, you have names like Tim Hardaway Jr. And, and Reggie Bullock, who you don't really know where they're going to fit, Will, but I, I, I agree with your point once again that they need to make another move. And in my opinion, it, it, it needs to be for a very, very athletic center and move Christian Wood down to the four. Um, that kind of lets Reggie Bullock and Tim Hardaway take over um, that wing position at the three, you get someone at the five. I, I don't really know any names that are in talks. I know Miles Turner is always like a, a kind of a guy that's always in trade talks. And, and um, who's the guy? Capella from the Hawks as well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the – I'm not saying exactly those names, but if you guys could think of any other names that kind of have a similar style to play 
of that guy, I think would fit pretty well on this Dallas Mavericks team. A rim runner, someone that grabs rebounds, that can get it out to the guards after a rebound in transition. That's exactly the style of offense they need to run now because Kyrie can speed your offense up. Luka can slow your offense down, which is very effective if you know how if, – if the coach knows how to use that at the right time. And I want to say Jason Kidd's still their coach, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I actually trust Jay Kidd. I, I think he's a pretty good coach. And I think if anybody knows how to tame Kyrie, I, I would take a take a good stab at Jason Kidd. And I, I know Stav's giving me a look, and Stav might be comparing Jason Kidd to Steve Nash, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of I, 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 I think, think Jay Kidd's a whole different ball game. I, I think, think having Jay Kidd, Kidd is, on that yeah. team, and, like and him and being the Jay coach, is someone good. that Kyrie looks up to. I mean, we would like to think that, but at the same time, he's had excellent coaches in the past, and he's just absolutely yeah. – he hasn't – I mean, I want to think that Kyrie Irving is going to figure it out, right? But how many coaches are you going to give this guy until you realize that he's just uncoachable? I mean, his, let me let me rephrase this. He cannot be coached because there's nothing to coach him on on the court. Yes, right? definitely. Yeah, so I was just gonna... he, he already knows like what he needs to do. It's just whether or not he does it and his mentality is there to do it. I mean, the, the person who I'm buying stock in in this trade is Christian Wood. Christian Wood right now is averaging 19 points a game, having nine rebounds, two assists, and a block and a half every game. And I think that his production goes way up when these guys are here because they're going to have a common guy to pass to when they're not passing to each other. Christian Wood is going to – I mean, Luke is a facilitator. We know that. Luke is averaging eight over eight assists a game. Um, but Christian Wood is going to get all of the Kyrie passes when he drives the kit, essentially, and Wood's going to be right there on the block to get it. We saw a huge boost in Nicholas Claxton earlier in the season, up to this point, obviously, where um, his production rate, his points per game was way up prior to this, or compared to earlier in his career. And Christian Wood, in my opinion, is a lot better of an offensive player than Nicholas Claxton. He can do more than what Nick Claxton does. So, Christian Wood is just going to – I think he might even get up to 20 points per game. And then you have three 20-point-per-game scores on this team, but that's it. They don't have any depth. I mean, you kind of mentioned some names before, but when it comes down to it, do I start – or do I trust Tim Hardaway Jr. to be my starting small forward in a playoff game? No, he's more of a two-guard, and he's more of a bench guy. You you go guy for guy in the Western Conference. I don't – I'm not taking Dallas right now over Golden State. I'm not taking them over Denver. I'm not taking them – over Phoenix fully healthy, that's debatable, but it's it's up there. You, you never know. And it, it just matters if if Kyrie plays, if everyone stays healthy, because that's a big question mark around Kyrie. If he actually plays basketball, what what's their ceiling? What's this team's ceiling? You look at this team, I see a second-round exit. I, 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 don't know. I was going to say the same exact thing. The Western yeah. Conference semis is their ceiling. And stop to your point, I'm sorry to kind of cut you off there, but I just have a quick thing to say. To your point, having three 20-plus point scores is great, but you look at those three 20-plus scores in Luka, Kyrie, Christian Wood, at their positions, they're in, in the lower half defensive efficiency-wise. Mm-hmm. This is a very bad defensive team, mm-hmm. and that exactly goes back to the point at Tim Hardaway running the three. Who's guarding the other team's best player? No one, no one, and, and you you said a couple of teams. Um, I think they could beat the Suns, but I don't think they could beat the Warriors. I don't think they could beat the Nuggets. I don't think that they could beat the Grizzlies. I don't think that they could even beat the Timberwolves. 
And I would even throw Jazz and Kings. If they, if they had a series against the Sacramento Kings right now, Sacramento is so fundamentally sound on defense. Their defense turns into offense. They're very well coached, and they don't have any egos on that team. Seven-game series goes a long way. And I, I, I have Sacramento beating Dallas in a seven-game series if, if it's if it was stood in the first round. I'm going to five, another, to be honest. I'm going to throw another name out there. Um, I think New Orleans is better fully healthy. Uh, when Zion comes back, who's going to guard like you? To see them for like, I mean, it's it's hard to say if fully healthy, but Zion's predicted to return sometime this week, I think, or next week, or he's going to be ready for the All Star game, game, right? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I don't know if they'll just sit him out throughout then, just to be on the precautionary side. But that team is better than Dallas, in my opinion. I mean, you got Br- who's going to guard Brandon Ingram, right? CJ no McCollum. Yeah, no one can guard these guys. Mm. So. You, you bring up defense is a great point because they do not have a guy to solidify them defensively. And I'm surprised – I mean, maybe they'll even say Marquise Morris. Maybe Marquise Morris cracks the starting line. So I could can see that at the, at the four. At the four. Yeah. I could easily see that. And um, just going off of that point of, of not having defense – they had some guys on defense, and Dorian Finney-Smith was one of them. He was a very yeah. talented defensive player. And, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who's a guard and known to be a pure scorer, plays some good defense too because he has some size at, at that one spot. You give up two defensive guys for Markeith Morris and one of the – I mean, one of the pure scorers in NBA history. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, and, and I'd like to take a look at, at Brooklyn's team right after this as well, but – when it comes down to the nitty gritty, you, you give up two of your best defensive players at their respective position. You gain some scoring, and it goes right back to Will's point. Another, I would say, maybe even two moves to solidify that starting lineup by Thursday, and that's going to be a very tough task to complete two moves after making a move like Kyrie Irving. I, I was just going to say, for like, obviously, like I said before, like they really, like you even said, they need at least two more moves, maybe even three, which that's a very tall task to do, yeah. especially for Almost especially a lot, yeah. for a team during a trade deadline. Like, it's very hard to come by a team that does more than two trades, if not even a team that does one or any. Like, it's usually only like a few key guys who are requested trades and a couple bench pieces for teams that are looking to make a run or they're on that border. The Mavs right now are in a situation where like they can win games in the regular season, but they know they won't be able to compete in the playoffs. So, this trial period for Kyrie, if they end up re signing him come the offseason and they kind of build something from here, it's a great move because now you have Kyrie, you have Luca, you have time in the offseason to get some more players, a draft pick. But at this point, you either decide. Okay, right now as a team, if we get everyone back fully healthy, do we go all in before the deadline? Do we try to deal as much as we can, try to get back and see what we can do with this team and hope that we can all stick together, or do they just wait it out again? I think Dallas absolutely fumbled the bag with this one, if I'm being honest. We knew Kyrie was available in the offseason. Why wait this long and not give your guys time to gel? And if hypothetically they sign him in the offseason, they see how it works in the first half of the season. We know pretty damn well that the first half of the season is really just a chemistry builder, right? Look at last year's Celtics team. They sucked in the first half. They turned it around once they figured out what worked. So why change up your entire team's philosophy halfway through the season when essentially you're trying to win now, right? That, that's the point that I'm making. I was like, if like, what is yeah. like, like at the end of the day, like obviously they acquired him and it like, yes, it's Kyrie Irving. Like it, like, we can't like lie to ourselves like he's nasty like obviously he brings a lot of baggage with like everything else but it, it is what it is it's just like what what direction do you go from here so you're in win now right you you made it to the western conference finals 
you had another guard. You had Jalen Brunson, who you could have re-signed. So if your whole philosophy was to bring in another guard and to give Luka somebody to work with, why not re-sign Jalen Brunson? Give him what the Knicks gave him. I'm sure, I mean, who knows if he would want to stay in New York or if he would go to New York regardless. But it didn't seem as if Dallas was going to give him the contract that New York gave him. But now you're willing to give Kyrie Irving that when he's, Literally unproven in Dallas. He's unproven ever since he left Cleveland, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, he's made his all-star games. He's had his highlights. But he really hasn't accomplished anything on his own without LeBron James. So why don't why not bring in Jalen Brunson, a guy who essentially led your team to the – Luka was hurt for a majority of the playoff run. He was hurt for all the first round. He was shaking the Phoenix series. He was out, I think, a game or two. Jalen Brunson was their leader in the playoffs. When you look at it, he walks – why not throw him a bag and then not worry about getting another guard? Yeah, I mean, you're you're very right, and it, it's tough looking in to the Mavericks' perspective because you know you got to make a move for a superstar, and, and it's at that point where at, they're at the verge that they made a miracle run, in my opinion, a miracle run to the Western Conference Finals last year, and. Every single team that you see around there, around the NBA Finals as well, has two superstars on their team. That's kind of, I bet, the approach that Mark Cuban was going with, with Kyrie. But I just, I really don't see this fitting well if there isn't a small forward on that team that can lock up another team's best player. And if when I'm talking about another team's best player and we're talking Western Conference, you know, there, there's some names where obviously like Golden State, Memphis, and you could even say Denver with Jamal Murray, they have guards and you have Kyrie who's going to be guarding them most likely. And Kyrie can step up in big in big moments and he's done it. He did it against the Warriors when he was on the Cavs. Um, he, I mean, I, he hasn't really had many opportunities to do it with the Brooklyn Nets, but he, he goes toe-to-toe with Curry in those series. He steps up his game and, and, and things of that nature, but – a team that you mentioned, Stav, that we didn't mention originally is the Pelicans. I have Brandon Ingram dropping like 30 a game in that series. And, yeah. and Sacramento, you, you can't stop a DeMontis Sabonis. I have DeMontis Sabonis over Christian Wood 10 times out of 10. And mm-hmm. all-star voters would agree. In Utah, Utah, if they played Utah, I, I'd have Utah probably in five as well. And, and even though Utah is sitting at 500, this is going to be a crazy take. This is going to be such a crazy take. You have Larry Markinen at the three, Kelly Olynyk if they keep him at the four, Walker Kessler at the five, where the tallest person on the Mavericks lineup is around 6'10 in Christian Wood. Other than that, you're like 6'8", 6'7". You have three seven-footers that you're going up against in the Utah Jazz. It's going to be very hard to defend a team like that, and it's going to be very hard to get buckets on a team like that when you still have Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, who Mike Conley is an average-sized point guard, but Jordan Clarkson's pretty tall at the two-guard position, and just just the height advantages that or the height disadvantages that the Mavericks have throughout the Western Conference is what's really going to come back to bite him in the ass because Luca, who everybody likes to talk about how tall he is, Luca is the least tall six seven person in the NBA. And, and by saying that, I mean that he doesn't use his height, right? He doesn't use it defensively. He uses it offensively when guards are guarding him, but he can't go out and guard a six seven guy and. I guess the first name that popped to mind again, another Western Conference team that we haven't mentioned, is the Clippers. Who's going to guard Kawhi? Who's going to guard Paul George? It, it's all about matchups in the Western Conference. It's all about matchups in the NBA. And I, I don't think that them adding Kyrie 
gave them a true advantage against any of the teams that they could potentially see, even in the first round. Well, you bring up a great point. Like, I love the point that you're talking about matchups. And, yeah, if we go guy for guy who we would take, usually in the really competitive teams, it's like, yeah, this guy, he could beat him, but this guy can hold their zone, right? Yeah. Like, when you looked at the guy, guy for guy, the Celtics in Brooklyn, for example, when Brooklyn had James Harden, Kyrie, and Katie, it's like, well, Jalen Brown can hold his own against James Harden. Tatum can hold his own against Katie. Smart. It's like that. Well, yeah, you clearly take probably Kyrie over Marcus Smart, but Marcus Smart defensively can match up with some of these guys. You look at this Dallas team, these guys can't even match up with their opponents. Right, yeah. like I, I don't trust Kawhi Leonard. Or I'm sorry, I don't trust Kyrie Irving to guard Paul George or Luca to guard Kawhi. Are you kidding me? That's that's it's easy. It's Thirty points a game for both of those guys. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And the Clippers is the best team. Those are two of the best wings in the league. If they go up against a team specifically that has an All Star or superstar wing or an All Star slash superstar center, they're screwed. And, and because who's gonna if it's PG and Kawhi, we'll, we'll just keep it to the Clippers. If it's PG and Kawhi, who's guarding who? Luka's pretty much going to have to guard. No, Luka can't guard one of them. He can't. Neither can Kyrie. It's going to have to be a tandem of those two other guys that are in the starting lineup. That's stink. And, and you're right, Stop. It's going to be 30 points from each of them, and it's not going to be favorable. But I, I do want to talk about this Brooklyn Nets team a little bit. And – this is going to be crazy. Again, I, I feel like I've said some weird things, and I know the Jazz are 500, and I can't stop thinking about it, but I still have the Jazz beating the Mavs in a series. I don't know why. I know Luka takes over, but the Nets, I, in my opinion, once KD comes back, once Dinwiddie's fully healthy, once Dorian Finney-Smith is fully healthy, I think they overall got better as a team. And Kyrie's averaging around 27 points a game, and he's obviously keeping them afloat while KD is out. And Nick Claxton has kind of expanded to become this guy who has seen a lot bigger of a role, and that has led to his progression speeding up. And he's someone that's in all defensive team conversations right now. This team fully healthy, where where they have a lineup of Dinwiddie, um, Royce O'Neal, KD. You could throw Ben Simmons, or, or I would even throw TJ Warren at the four to get buckets, and Nick Claxton at the five. Um, I like that team a lot for Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant's a pure score and he's someone that loves to have the ball in his hands as well. And Dinwiddie is going to be the second option on that team. Then if Ben Simmons commits to his role of, you know, throwing the ball around the court, getting uh, guys open and, and locking down their best wing, which Ben Simmons has been shown to do. Um, I think this team's going to be pretty good defensively sound. And I think that they're going to have enough people to get them buckets in Spencer Dinwiddie and KD and Royce O'Neal gets buckets. Seth Curry's going to be coming off the bench. Um, Joe Harris is going to be coming off the bench. Dorian Finney-Smith's going to be coming off the bench. This team like really doesn't look too bad depth-wise. They don't look too bad scoring-wise, and they look pretty good defensively, especially with the with the uh, progression of Nick Claxton. I like the way that this team looks, and I would say they're, they're a move or two away from – being a team that could be, make it to the second round as well. You bring up great points. Um, a name you left off the list who I mentioned that Christian Wood is a guy I'm buying stock in for Dallas after this trade. Guy I'm buying stock in Brooklyn is Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas coming off of a 44 point game against yep. Washington on Sunday. He's a guy who can get buckets. He's a guy who they're probably, I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the season or even a little bit after the All Star break if they put him into the starting lineup. And then you have yep. 
a lineup of Dimwitty, Cam Thomas, Dorian Finney-Smith, KD, and Nick Claxton. That's a solid starting five. You can compete towards the middle half of the East there. And, I mean, if you make another move at the deadline before Thursday, um, you're competing. And I'm not even mentioning Ben Simmons in this, who Ben Simmons, I'm buying stock in as well. I think Ben Simmons is going to elevate his performance a little bit. I'm not saying Ben Simmons is going to go back to rookie year Ben Simmons for two years. I'm saying that he's going to take the next step, right? There, when by Brooklyn trading away Kyrie, I know there's external circumstances here that that so I'm twisting this a little bit. Brooklyn saying, okay, we, we're buying stock in Ben Simmons, right? We're saying we need him to produce now. We don't have another point guard. We don't have another facilitator in this offense. I mean, you want to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah, but Ben Simmons, this is your time to shine. This is basically your team to facilitate. You have KD, you like step up now is the time you don't have someone like Kyrie to bail you out anymore Ben Simmons it's your time to be the true guard as probably often this bench unit so two guys to wrap up what I'm saying two guys in buying talking Cam Thomas and Ben Simmons yeah and Cam Thomas is a guy where as you said scored 44 points kind of you could argue and a lot of people would agree out of nowhere right and Really, oh, people only knew him because he was the guy that never smiled. I don't know if you guys saw this like a couple of weeks ago. They they asked Cam Thomas why they've never seen him smile, and he just said, ain't shit funny. So, I mean, that's a perfect guy. I, I love guys like that in the NBA. They're workhorses. They get the job done. And Cam Thomas, who's a shooting guard, he's a bit undersized. But like we said with the Mavs, how their undersized uh, really hurts them. The, the Brooklyn Nets can afford to have a shooting guard that's undersized because Spencer Dinwiddie's six foot six, Kevin Durant's seven foot fucking five, Ben Simmons seven foot, and Nick Claxton's like seven two. They have a lot of size. They don't need Cam Thomas to be six 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 seven at, at, at the two guard. They already have a guard that's six six. They have a forward that's seven foot. I mean, they they have a lot of size on this team. And, and adding someone like a Dorian Finney Smith who can also be a starter, a fringe starter on this team, if not maybe even a six man. That adds defense at the wing. Seth Curry's are obviously already on that team. Seth Curry's been proven to be one of the bench or one of the best bench scorers in the league, if not the best bench scorer in the league. You could argue argue a lot of other names. You have TJ Warren, who I mean scores, doesn't really do anything other than that, but that's what you kind of need off the bench. And you have some better veteran leadership. I, I like this team a lot. Right now they're sitting at fourth in the conference and with that being said, they're in the playoffs right now. Right now they'd be playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think I'd kind of like the Cavs in that series, but I think that the Brooklyn Nets, fully healthy with Kevin Durant, could put up a fight against anybody. When you have Kevin Durant, you can put up a fight against everybody, but, it I mean, it's not Thursday yet. We don't even know if KD's going to be in that. I was just going to say, with or without Kevin Durant, I still think the package they received back for Kevin Durant, if hypothetically he is to get traded and leave, I still think the Nets are – they can still play. They they can still go out, get buckets. They can still compete. I think whoever they get back is going to allow them to – I won't say be as successful because you are losing Kevin Durant and Kyrie over the course of the week. So, like, the production definitely will go down a little bit. But I still think overall as a team, they're going to be that team that's scrappy and they're pretty good and you're not going to really want to play them. They're going to give you a hard time. But I don't think they have enough firepower after, if KD leaves to take them over the edge and be top-tier team. Yeah. But they're, they're still – they're still even after that move, they can still – they're still, let's say, one move in the summer from acquiring a star and they're right back where they left off. 
kind of reminiscent of the Nets team, in my opinion, before they had Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden, yeah. where obviously they don't have D'Lo anymore, but they get Dinwiddie back, who was literally a piece of that team. And then they have those young guys, and I would compare Nick Claxton at this age. I mean, yeah, honestly, I'd compare Nick Claxton at this age to um, Jared Allen at that age that he, he was at with the Nets. And you have those foundational pieces, and, and bringing Dinwiddie back is a good move, and allowing Durant to really be – the, the leading scorer and not have to watch Kyrie do all this funny business. And it takes, it takes a lot out, it takes a lot of negatives out of the locker room as well, which I know a lot of people have obviously been talking about, but seeing a young team in Cam Thomas, who's a 21 year old rookie, Nick Claxton, who's very young as well. Dinwiddie who has a few years. And then you have somebody like a KD, you have youth, you have veteran leadership. And, and that's a great foundation for a basketball team to have. Agreed. And Katie's a hooper. He'll hoop regardless. I mean, yeah. he gets moved. Oh, yeah. He gets moved. Any, he's just going to hoop. Yeah, yeah, so he, he's a factor regardless. Well, I mean, let's talk about the overall trade, right? I mean, everyone can say what, how it's going to happen. Who won the trade? Straight up, who won the trade? No analysis. Griff, who won the trade? The Nats. Well. I think the Mavs did. They honestly got good value for Kyrie. I, I think the value they got for him is definitely there. I mean, obviously in the end, I think it, it did feel kind of even because the Nets are, didn't really like – they're not that much worse. But you have to factor in what they gave up to get Kyrie, and I think they got good value for a, a player like him. Stop. what do you think? Nets. I mean, the Nets got better. Nets got a – Nets before the trade and after the trade, all things considered – Got better. So, yeah, I mean, he didn't want to be on the team. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's very true. I was just saying, like, from the perspective of the Mavs, yeah. like being able to get someone for that you super middle, you got a superstar for relatively not giving up too too much. Yeah, no, you're right, and and in my opinion, people like to weigh in on who wins a trade, on who goes further in the postseason. Um, this trade is won or lost in free agency, depending on Kyrie Irving, where he goes. If he's a Mav, I, I, I could put up a fight and say, if he's a Mav after this, if he signs maybe like a max deal four or five years, you'd be like, all right, maybe the Mavs won this trade. But um, for now, we're going to have to watch and see. And we got, we got a lot of basketball left this season, beginning of February. And with the beginning of February, like we said on the last episode, comes college basketball. It's almost March. Things are rolling. We had our first rivalry weekend where we saw a bunch of great games. I'd love to cover maybe three, four, five of those games. Um, and I'm going to get right into it here. I would say game of the weekend, Purdue, Indiana, at Indiana, the Hoosiers take down the one seed Boilermakers. Um, just an absolutely great game. Um, a, a Big Ten game where two – of the best bigs in the country face off against each other. And you could say that Zach Eady, who we talked about on the last episode, who was pretty much a lock for the Neesmith player of the year, outperformed compared to Trace Jackson Davis um, with 33 points. He put up 18 rebounds, 10 of them being offensive rebounds. He also had three blocks. Um, it just wasn't enough. And at the end of the day, this is what I love about college basketball. And, and especially what it looks like in Purdue is – you have Edie, your next leading score, scorer puts up 12 points. Well, if you could have a big kind of try to lock down Edie and, and send doubles to them, which is exactly what Indiana did, 
They threw doubles every single time Edie had the ball, and Trace Jackson Davis was the one staying on him the whole time. Did as much as he could. Trace Jackson Davis is not seven foot three like Zach Edie. He still put up twenty five points. He found his way around Edie with his athleticism. He grabbed seven boards against him. He had five blocks as well in this game. And Indiana really relied on him, but then they also really relied on their two guards to go out because they knew that they could outmatch Purdue with their guard play. That's exactly what they did. Just just overall, I mean, a great game, a very fun game to watch. You could call it an upset, but Indiana at home, the 21 seed, gets the win against number one Purdue. Stav, initial thoughts on this game? Well, this kind of just goes into proof that how much the game is evolving, right? Um, the traditional set, like Zach Eady, He's dominant, right? He put up 33 points, get 18 rebounds. He shot a very efficient 15 of 19. They couldn't stop him. But how I like to look at things, especially with college basketball, is how will this team do later on in conference play and in March Madness when the tournament starts? Um, I'm nervous for this Purdue team, to be honest. If they lost to this Indiana team, I know they uh, they were technically away or whatever. The line was very close. Indiana didn't even shoot that well from beyond the arc. They went 4 of 10. So mm-hmm. if they're getting theirs kind of in the paint, they shot a very efficient, they shot over 50%. Um, if they're getting theirs in the paint, if they're, if they're beating Purdue without shooting, essentially, what happens if Zach Eady's having an off game, right? This is probably the best possible performance he could have had other than going 19 of 19, right? So where, what is the next step for this Purdue team? It just, like this, we talked about this last episode, Griff, how much fluctuation is going to happen in college basketball. There's no clear dominant team, and certain teams match up better with other teams, whether regardless of rankings. And we'll get to Duke-UNC later, but right after both of these games, when Purdue finished and lost, and after Duke won, I look at this Duke team and I'm like, they're better than Purdue. I think that yeah. this Duke team matches up perfectly with Purdue, especially the two seven-footers who would stop Zach Eady. How does a team – how does this Purdue team essentially overcome if Zach Eady doesn't do well? That's my yeah. takeaway from this game. And, and, and stop it. It's their lack of guard play that really screws them over in an era of basketball where – we're shooting threes. We're running in transition. We have a lot of athleticism at the guard and wing positions. And Indiana showed that, with, with, especially with Trace Jackson Davis, who I, I already mentioned is undersized. He's been he's been a part of Indiana. He's been Indiana's best player for a couple of years now. He's a very fun, exciting college basketball player to watch. And this was an interesting matchup to see because Zach Eady obviously – held the advantage. Every single uh, game that Zach Eady plays this year, he will be the best player on the court, right? So it, it, it's just a matter of fact of how much can you hinder his play. And in this situation, you couldn't, right? 33 and 18 is one of the best games that we're going to see this season from a basketball player in college ball. Uh, and um, it, it, it's just about what is the rest of the team going to do for Purdue? And they don't do anything. They really don't. And Indiana exposed them. And obviously it's tough to beat your rival. Um, and the Indiana in-state rivalry before Purdue, or between Purdue and Indiana, at least in my opinion, one of the most storied rivalries in college basketball, one of the best rivalries in college basketball. I, I, I watch this game every single time it's on, Purdue-Indiana. It's a very underrated matchup, very good matchup. So, Purdue, who lost this game, obviously it's Monday. The new rankings came out. Purdue is still the one seed. 
being 22 and two now, um, there, there's still a long road to go. And the Big Ten's, like we said, is very, very dangerous. It's going to be tricky to get out of there uh, with only five losses. And I could see Purdue picking up a sixth or seventh loss. Um, but they're going to stay around that top 10 area for sure. I would say even top five um, just because of Zach Eady. He, he's a guy that can go out guy that can go out and get you 35 and 15 every single game, which is insane to say, but that's just how it is. It's just about how much you can win your matchups at other positions. In my opinion, Indiana, four out of those five starters outplayed the other four of Purdue starters. And Trace Jackson Davis put up a great fight against Zach Eady, and that's exactly what they needed from that. You know what this who this Purdue team reminds me of? Of the DeAndre Ayton Arizona team. Right? Arizona I, team? Agreed. Yeah. yeah. A highly 100%. ranked team with a dominant big man who's probably going to go high in the draft who really didn't have any good guards on that team. And they got upset, I think, in the first round that year. I yeah. think they did because I had them going all the way. Because whatever. That's besides the point. Um, I'm not making that mistake again. If the guards don't pick it up and if the other scorers don't pick it up, I know I don't think Purdue's going to make it anywhere, to be honest. I think they're going to be a second-round exit, regardless of their seeding. That's fair. It's fair. And it's kind of like a – there, there's a lot of teams like this where there's just a dominant big guy, an NBA prospect that is on a team and he's so much of the number one, you know, the number one option of that team where the number two option would be the number three, number four on another team. And they went up against each other. I would say Indiana, if they had um, Purdue's second best player, he'd obviously be a starter, but he wouldn't be in that same elevate, elevated role that he's at in Purdue and Purdue's the one seed right now. People are headhunting Purdue, Indiana, especially they exposed them and they showed exactly how to beat Purdue. And I bet a lot of teams are going to style uh, their games against Purdue based off of how Indiana played them. Um, because I mean, it was down to a T they, they played them perfectly. They beat them perfectly. And, and a lot of teams now know how to beat Purdue. It, 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 it's, a slippery slope here from Purdue. All you can really do is go down. There's really no rising up unless you have a maybe a bench guy or two step up and, you know, start to get 10 points a game or something like that. But other than that, I'd be very scared if I was a fan of the Boilermakers going on fourth and not necessarily throughout the rest of the regular season and conference play. But once it gets to conference tournament time and especially once it gets to March, it's it's any day, you know, any day you could be out of it. And when you don't have two or three guys that can be a go-to guy, it, it's it's a scary look in college basketball. And being a one seed doesn't last that long when you only have one guy up there. Agreed. But but yeah, moving on. I just have a couple more games I want to get to. We're gonna we're gonna uh, hold obviously our most important game to last, even though it's an unranked matchup. You guys know what game I'm talking about. I just want to talk about these two games real quick. Um, Auburn versus Tennessee, a big SEC matchup between the 25th um, Auburn Tigers and obviously the Tennessee Volunteers at the two seed. Tennessee thankfully got away in this game, winning 46 to 43. I mean, I watched uh, the second half of this game and the scoring picked up a little bit for Auburn, but Tennessee put up 23 in both halves and just really didn't look good. And, and a lot of it comes from uh, Vescovi, who's Tennessee's best player. He's been there for a few years now. He puts up seven points in a game. You still win a conference game against a ranked team. That's a big, big win. And the SEC, 
has proven to me at least just how competitive this conference is. And I would say it's the most competitive conference in college basketball in terms of any team can go out and, and halt another team scoring. That's exactly what Auburn did. And Tennessee had to match that defensive intensity. It was a great game to watch if you're a fan of defense. If you're a fan of seeing the ball go into the hoop, this was not your game because there was not a lot of scoring at all. It, it was a stalemate for a while, especially in the last few minutes of the game where it got to the point where um, Viscovi, who I don't, I think his first name is Santiago, excuse me if I'm wrong, Santiago Viscovi, um, who only finished the game with seven points, who's this team's leading scorer, he had a, a three-pointer where, I mean, it was maybe one of the worst shots I've ever seen in my life. Thankfully got fouled. That ended up being the play of the game, going to the line. And you don't see that often. Just a, a crazy matchup for a two-seed to be in at this point in the season. And that's a game where you could call it witching hour with red zone, but that's a game where um, they're not supposed to win those games. The two-seed isn't supposed to win those low-scoring games. That's supposed to be an upset, so – it, it, I, I want. I wanted to talk just a little bit about that game because that's a big one for Tennessee at the two seed. If they if they keep winning, I guarantee Purdue loses a few games. We could see Tennessee being that one seed at some point, even though their offense wasn't that great in that game. Sneaking out of that game was a, a big one. Um, another game I wanted to mention, um, just real quick: Virginia Tech beat number six Virginia. Um, not only is that a big game for the rivalry, but Virginia Tech I want to say has four sector one wins, which almost locks up their spot in March Madness, which is, which is crazy. They beat 18 seed North Carolina earlier in the season. Um, they beat an Oklahoma State team. That's pretty good. Um, they beat Syracuse, and they beat Virginia. Just, I mean, they're not – they're 14-9 right now. They pick up a few more wins. We could easily see them being one of those uh, first four in – or last four in into March Madness just because of their strength of wins. So, that, that's a team to look out for going on. Um, but to wrap up this episode, let's talk about a tough loss. Let's talk about a very tough loss um, at Cameron Indoor Stadium on Saturday evening. Uh, Duke handles North Carolina 63-57. to 57. My opening thoughts on this game, um, and I tweeted this through our Inside the Five account, if Pete Nance doesn't play this game, and this applies, I've watched – we're 15 and eight. I've watched at least 15 UNC games this year. This applies to every single one of our losses. If Pete Nance does not play, we win this game. I, I think that Pete Nance sucks. I think he's obviously by far the worst starter on this team. But when you look at our bench and you have a guy like Puff Johnson, and Will can attest to this being a UNC fan, when you have a guy like Puff Johnson who's willing to go out there, run around, he can hit the three ball, he can play defense, why not give him a chance over a guy like Pete Nance? It doesn't really make sense to me, and I know that Duke has some size, but in my opinion, Puff Johnson, who's just a couple inches shorter, plays better defense than Pete Nance, shoots the ball better than Pete Nance, and is a lot more efficient than Pete Nance will. No, I agree. And unfortunately, I was unable to watch this game because I was working. But um, I did see some of the highlights. I did see, obviously, everything around it. And I did see the tweet about Pete Nance. And I agree. I don't like Pete Nance. Um, I yeah, probably, and, and I you've, wanna, you've watched you've – watched I've of watched at least half of the games this yeah. season. I've, I've missed a handful, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I – like, 
honestly, Puff Johnson was probably the perfect person you could have said because if you weren't going to say it, I was. I love Puff Johnson. Even last year, he came in. He made big plays defensively. He put everything on the line. Obviously, that team last year was special. Dude. <laughs> like on the court. Yeah, dude. He, yeah, he, he went from just like – he felt like a little kid, and now he's like an adult now. Like he like he Well, because we remember like, Puff because of Cam. Cam Johnson, obviously, on the Phoenix yeah, Suns. His little around. brother, Puff, he committed when he was like a sophomore in high school. I've been watching Puff Johnson since he was like 15, and I, I want to say he's our age, so it's like weird to compare. But yeah. we've been watching this guy throughout and, and watching him progress, and he took such a big role um, coming in for uh, – what's his oh, what's his name? The caveman. Um, oh, I feel bad blanking on his name, but the white power forward for our team last year. Uh, Just an absolute hero, by the way. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know. This is bad. Absolute hero from Oklahoma. Um, but he stepped up, and he filled in that position – and Brady Manic, Brady Manic, Brady Manic. Brady yeah. Manic. Yes. Okay. But he stepped in. He gave Brady Manic a good rest because Brady Manic was playing like 30 minutes a game. He came in. Puff Johnson filled in for some injuries as well. He filled in for Leaky Black last year, Armando Baycott when he went in and out. Um, he steps up and he's been doing it. He did it last year. He's been doing it this year. I'm officially starting the petition to give him that starting four spot. And I think Pete Nance would be great with that bench squad. I, I was going to say, I think, like you said, Pete Nance would probably gel well with the bench and he'd be a nice guy to come in and give Puff a good rest. But the thing is, the difference between between Puff and um, and Pete Nance is Puff has that, like, passion for the game. Mm -hmm. When he's out there, you see, like, he like he doesn't care what he does. Like, he's out, like, not in, like, in the sense where he's, like, playing lackadaisical. Yeah. He's out there and he, he doesn't – He kind of plays like he has nothing to lose. He, he plays loops. like he has nothing to lose. He plays he plays like everything is on the line but has nothing to lose at the same time. Like he's yeah. making every play he possibly can. He's at the ball every single second. He's making those defensive plays. He's out there at the ball. He's at defenders. He's clapping his hands. He's bringing the energy. And that, that's something that a starting lineup needs. I mean, this starting lineup does have a lot of players that show a lot of emotion that – do a lot of things on the court, and they're very talented. They need a guy. He's almost like a Marcus Smart esque kind of guy, where he kind of he doesn't show up in does the stat sheet with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I pulled it up. I mean, granted, he was on the bench for this game, and he had three points in sixteen minutes, two boards. I guarantee, if you if he starts, he's a guy that can get ten points a game, probably a few boards, few assists, and definitely a lot of defensive. Like he's definitely gonna be out there tipping passes, trying to steal balls. I mean, he's he he does he does get himself in foul trouble every now and then because of how aggressive he does play on the defensive side of the ball. But I I like that intensity. They they that's something that they need to make a run. And I mean, it, right right and now, it was, in my opinion, in my opinion, you look at the way that this lineup is built. In in Pete Nance, who stopped to give you some context, is. Brother of Larry Nance Jr., son of Larry Nance Sr., obviously. Um, he's a guy where he, play, he played and started four seasons at Northwestern. And I remember when we signed him um, as a transfer, me and Will were quite excited because we were like, okay, we have our starting five, or we have our starting four returning. Brady Manick obviously um, is no longer going to be there, but we got a four. And we talked about Puff Johnson a little bit at that time in the role he was going to take as the sixth man. And we thought Pete Nance was going to do good and kind of be in the same position that Manic was in. And we've been trying to do that with him all season. And he takes, he takes 10 shots against Duke. If you're wearing North Carolina blue, you take 10 shots against the Duke blue devils. You hit one of them. 
he shouldn't have been on the court for 10 shots. He, he shouldn't have been on the court for 30 minutes to go 0 for 5 from behind the line. If Puff goes 0 for 5 from behind the line, Puff's out for the next week and a half. I, I think that Puff doesn't get nearly enough love that he deserves. And, and kind of to wrap up my point on Puff, this lineup where you have a Caleb Love and an R.J. Davis controlling your backcourt, and you could argue at their peak, and they haven't peaked yet this year, I know that for a fact, but at their peak, that's the best backcourt in college basketball is R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. Those are two guys who can get a bucket at any moment in time, and I, I would be nervous when they're driving. I'd be nervous when they're stepping back. I'd be nervous at every single point on the court if either of them have the ball. Then you have someone like Aliki Black who has stepped up in the three-point category. He hasn't, he's been notoriously known as a defensive specialist, 6'8", lengthy, defensive guy. Him pairing up with Puff to guard the other teams three and four which is usually the other team's best players and especially Duke's best players. Um, I, I would like Filipowski to be guarded by Leaky Black, and I would like um, Tyrese Proctor to be guarded by Puff Johnson or, or maybe even Mitchell or Mark Mitchell to be guarded by Puff Johnson in games like this. And Baycott can hold down someone like a Derek Lively who had eight blocks in this game, which is insane. But that's just due to Armando Baycott's usage rate. I think the athleticism, the intensity, and overall, just like the level of play gels so much better when Puff Johnson is on that court with that starting five instead of Pete Nance. Pete Nance doesn't fit athletically. He doesn't fit emotionally to this team because you see what R.J. Davis and Caleb Love do. You see, you know, these are two guys that love drawing charges, that love running around the court, that will dive for loose balls. And, I mean, you could throw Leaky Black in, in that category, obviously, as well. Leaky Black is – one of the best defensive players in the country. Mm -hmm. Puff Johnson has the ability to be one of the best defensive players in the country. And if you, if you do that, then you have a front court that's leaky black, Puff Johnson and Armando Baycott. Armando Baycott, one of the best rebounders in the country. Leaky black, one of the best defensive players in the country. Puff Johnson, you could say is a project. And then you have two just absolutely pure scorers in the backcourt. With the athleticism, with the way that, that every single person on that team can run down the court. I mean, I, I just don't get why Hubert Davis hasn't tried that out yet. So oh, yeah. the, this team is formed to succeed, right? This team is formed to beat a team like Duke. And yep. what it really came down to is the lack of ability to hit a three-point shot, right? They went 7 of 27 from behind the arc. They had a chance. I think the score was 57 to 60. They had a chance to tie the game. It was 57-59. Yes, they had a chance to take the lead. 57-59, they missed the three. Yeah, Leaky yeah. Black missed a three in the corner, yeah. but that's just one shot of the other 26 that they attempted. And, and, and it goes back to my point, Stav. Pete Nance went 0 for 5. Yeah. That can't happen. You, that can't happen in a game. like I mean, it can happen, but don't expect to win. Um, yeah. You need to be able, especially on the road, if these shots are falling and take the crowd out of the game right and early. Uh, North Carolina started off this game with a pretty decent-sized lead. Not like a they got into it. It was like, what, 15 to 6 or something like – something along yes. those lines. It was like 15 8, something like that. Yeah, where they if they started hitting more of the three-point shots during that stretch, Duke is out of it, right? Like the way that Duke plays their game, they don't try and run and gun on you. They have their two big men that they run the offense through. Filipowski, who hit his first three, which ended up being the biggest three of the game, um, he went 4-14. I mean, Proctor did okay. The Tyrese Proctor is good, though. I mean, yeah. he moves the ball. But, 
he gets rebounds. He 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 he's a very good basketball player. See, I'm a, I, I like Tyrese Proctor. Yeah, no, he did it. He did his thing, but he wasn't really effective on the scoring column with only 11 points. Yeah, if definitely. they, if North, what what I look how I looked at it, I mean, I bet on North Carolina. If North Carolina hit their shots, they win this game pretty pretty easily. I think that's self-explanatory and obvious. But even if they hit three more threes. Right, or if they if, if Nance didn't take five dumb threes and he want one of kick a one of ten in this game, and I mean Caleb Love didn't really have a good game either, and I'm not saying like he's a Duke killer, he killed Duke. Yeah. So we expected him to elevate his performance a little bit more prior to what we've seen this season, I guess. But th- if this game's played in North Carolina, in North Carolina, they're fine. Like the, yeah, no. They, if, if, if this was at the Dean Smith Center, it, it, it's a very different story. And yeah. just to attest to both R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, they don't shoot great throughout the season. The reason for that is just strictly the fact that their usage rate is, like, I mean, completely enhanced with Leaky Black, Pete Nance, and Armando Baycott on the floor. Um, and, and it would even be more enhanced with Puff on the court because – those are their shooters, you know. Leaky, who is stepping it up this season and has actually been pretty good behind the three-point line. Um, he he's notoriously not known for shooting, right? He he stepped up this year, he's done all right with it, and that's that's big, that is crucial. But RJ Davis and Caleb Love, their job is literally, if you watch a UNC game, is literally to create their own shots the whole game. That is their job, the whole entire game. Get down uh the lane. Step back, hit random threes, he shoot deep threes. They have complete freedom to do these things against Duke, especially because, like, like you said, Caleb Love, the Duke killer, he's out there. In, I mean, this attests to my to my uh, chemistry type thing where I think Puff would be better in a lineup like this. You're supposed to be loose. UNC is known for for being like loose for for not really caring or not really caring in terms of like you're playing with nothing to lose right you're running down the court you're diving for balls you're shooting threes fading away doing all these things getting offensive rebounds Pete Nance just doesn't fit into that category and and RJ Davis's job is to throw up shots Caleb Love is to throw up shots their scores and then you have someone like a Baycott. You have someone like a Leaky Black that can grab your rebounds for you. I think in the long term, just you know, kind of walking through this, talking through this with you guys as well, even though we lost, it kind of puts me in a better feeling about UNC. I think they're going to be just fine in the long run. I think they're going to be just fine. There's going to be a big game at the end of March or at the beginning of March, the end of the season against Duke, and that's going to say a lot about this team. I was going to say my kind of final thoughts on this, and I remember speaking about P. Nance earlier on in the year. I think – it was either I think I texted you, and it was during one of the games. I think it was during the quadruple overtime game early, early, early in the season. Mm-hmm. And Pete Nance mm-hmm. had yeah, yeah. part of one of the overtime minutes where he like turned up, and I was like, "Oh my god, is this the moment where Pete?" Yeah, Nance yeah, you were like Tyree, or oh, what'd you say? You were like legacy game, and I was like, "I was like legacy like, game." Like he four. came up, had two blocks back to back, made an and one, and I was like, "Okay, maybe this is like." This is like this is where he grows up a little bit, even though he's a senior. This is where like the like the team like finally gets behind him, and it just like ever since then, because then they folded the next play after through a whack ball out of bounds, and after that, and I it was just down, down, down. That. 
Yeah, that's when you tuned back in, and then you were like, "What the hell is he doing?" No, because like, I stopped watching the game. I was because I was sick of him. I, I I remember this game. I'm trying to find it. Um, I bet on and, this game, and and, and I, I, I was won't, I very won't go into too much depth about finding it, but. I mean, he's just like – was it Ohio State? It was Ohio State, right? No, we beat it? Ohio State. No. It was Alabama. Yep, it was, it was Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, Alabama four overtimes. Just like Thanksgiving he, break. Caleb Love has 34 points. Pete Nance finishes with four. Four and seven rebounds. I mean, it, it just like really doesn't make sense where Puff could go in. He had 10 points in this game. Wrapping up, this is the end of the episode too. Wrapping up, Puff Johnson starting four guard. And UNC is just fine. Anybody else have anything? Agreed. I mean, like one last thing. Puff Johnson played that game against Alabama, and he actually played like how he played in the tournament last year, and I thought that was the moment he was going to start from here on out. He didn't. Yeah. He should now. Um, I have some low-key breaking news, not regarding college basketball, Mm -hmm. but the Nets-Mavs trade isn't official yet because the Nets are looking to add a third team. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are looking to get involved with this deal. So, oh wow, I didn't even know they found a shooter. All right, yeah. So, so look out for that. That's that's big news. That could be also a big piece. Also, Suns president and GM are both resigned. Yeah, I mean that was uh, only a matter. Yeah, God, I mean, I yeah, but it it, it officially happened. Obviously, we saw that one coming, but like, still, it, it's official now. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We will for sure, this is an absolute promise, see you before the end of the week. Super Bowl, obviously taking over. Had to release something early in the week because there was a crazy weekend of college basketball. Kyrie obviously on the move. We hope you guys enjoyed. We will see you guys for an episode filled with props, filled with predictions, filled with just everything involved in what's going on in Glendale, Arizona. We will catch you guys then. For now, peace. Peace. Peace.